Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. How you doing? I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Stephen Rivera is a retired felony investigator turned safety and security consultant who has lived a life that could have destroyed a lesser person, an orphan at birth. It's nothing short of a miracle it all worked out in the end. He shares his journey in his book, A Generic Life. I became a writer out of an angry pen, I guess you could say. My girlfriend at the time was putting together her portfolio for graduate school, and, and I got a little jealous that she wasn't paying attention to me, so I turned around and said, well, I can show you. I, I can write a story real quick, and I did. And I wrote a, uh, a short story called Breaking Glass, which was the brainchild behind writing the book. And when my girlfriend got finished with her portfolio, she read it and started laughing and crying. She said, I couldn't believe that I could do that. And she said, you need to continue, and so I did. I was told by English teachers all through junior high and high school that I was very creative, so... Uh, but it never sparked a, a thought to write anything. But she did. She brought it out of me. It's basically following the main character. It's a it's a coming of age in a picaresque, which is the the main character is searching for something. He wanted to find his family from the time he was four years old on up to nineteen, when he found his family. So basically, it's nineteen short stories that make up a book, and each each of these chapters tell a story. Uh, of where he began and where it led to the next step and the next family, so on and so forth, until he found his real family. From the time he was born, a month old, he had been living with uh, multiple family members, and then at the age of four was given away to a family. Uh, it, it talks about the the abuse and neglect that occurred with his biological with my biological family. And when I got to the next family, I didn't know what love or fear was, but I definitely learned it in that home. So I didn't know any better. It was my life with my biological family was not very helpful in, in growing and, and socializing and the like. But I learned all that in my second home, but I also learned what love and fear meant. Did you find happiness? I did, and, and I had an interesting sense that you were growing up during the counterculture era, you had all those shows on TV, and everyone I was surrounded by had, they were all Jewish or Italian, so you had that culture and always laughing and making jokes and making light of things, so I had that, I was blessed with that, so I definitely have a sense of humor, and, and the best way of getting over things is to laugh about it, so that's, that's what I learned growing up. Did you wind up in therapy? Oh, I had quite a few therapy sessions throughout uh, uh, my teenage years. Um, I don't know that it did any good because I was ignoring them. And, and my biggest problem with the therapist was that, you know, they had the family, they had parents, they had the 2.5 kids. They couldn't possibly identify with what it was like for me if they didn't live that kind of life. So, of course, I always connected with other uh, orphans and other children that were problematic in and out of detention homes, group homes, and foster homes. So 
Uh, the therapy didn't do me any good because I didn't think I needed it. <laughs> I definitely did, but I didn't at the time think that it was warranted. Did, did you wind up in detention homes? Oh, yes. Uh, several of them. Uh, the first one I went to, uh, and I'll be brief about it, is I, I elbowed a teacher and I split her eye open. And, uh, yeah, well, she grabbed me by the hair. She didn't like what I had to say when she grabbed me by the hair. I elbowed her and I split her eye wide open. She was wearing glasses. And I was 15 at the time when I did that. And so uh, I got sent to uh, a detention home in northwest Arkansas for nine months. <laughs> And then they put me into a different foster home because the one before that, they felt that they weren't really teaching me well and I wouldn't have been bad if I was living. If I hadn't been living there, then I wouldn't have acted the way I did. And that wasn't true. It was me, not them. What was the turning point in your life? Well, I remember it very vividly. I got stabbed for running my mouth, acting like I was bad, and I wasn't. And I got stabbed. I was in New York City at the time. I was actually living in a story at the time. And about a week later, after I came out of my, my uh, stupor from being on drugs, I didn't realize what had happened to my leg. But when someone told me the story, I packed up my vehicle. I went back to Audrey Earhart, or Audrey McKellar, who was my foster mother. And um, I went back to her home, licked my wounds, went back to high school, graduated early, and joined the Navy. And that was the end of it for me. I didn't have anything to do with all those bad people I had hung out with, and I turned myself around. Because I was either going to be, I was either going to end up dead, strung out on drugs, or in prison. That was pretty much my my uh, direction that I was going at the time. So. So if it's possible for you to do it, is it possible for anyone to do it? Anyone can. I mean, you know what's right and what's wrong. You were taught that at, at the least. You know what's right and wrong. You know what's good and bad. So if you want to have a better life, if you want to be a better person, you can do it. It has nothing to do with being in foster care or you feeling abandoned. If you're aware of it, then you need to make it work for yourself in order to be a better person. You don't have to be those people that were that treated you badly. There's one thing that stands out the most, and this is from Audrey, the foster mother I had, who I love very dearly, and she's passed on now. But she told me before I found my parents, you need to find what you're looking for because you're not going to be right until you do, but you may not like what you find. And in saying that, it stayed with me forever. That was when I was 18, 19 years old when she told me that, and I've never forgotten it. And I did what she told me to do. I found them, and she was right. I didn't like them. And at that point, I realized my life wasn't so bad after all, that I was not the only one who was in that predicament. There were many others out there, and I, I made out quite well considering it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, you got that right, Stephen. Thank you. Barbara Haycraft did a lot of jobs in her life, but the one she loved most was working with mentally challenged and abused children in Tennessee, where you got some rules changed, didn't you? Yes, ma'am. We weren't supposed to help them with their laundry. And I'd say, well, just put in a dryer and I'll get them out and won't let them wrinkle. Well, they found that, the facility found out I was helping and I wasn't supposed to be. And I said, excuse me, I had uh, young children about their age, but they weren't mentally challenged. And I helped them. I taught them. And when they, they, when they were eight, nine, and ten, I didn't have them to do laundry. I taught them responsibility, but I didn't expect them to to actually do all that. So they uh, they changed the rules where staff could help the ones that needed help with laundry. And another one, which is my favorite, didn't think a thing about it until, is uh, one young man, he would be for his age, 
And I said, Miss Barbara, I've got to go to my room. Got to eat my supper in there. I said, why? What happened? He said, uh, uh, I got in trouble. And the staff told me that I was uh, mean, bad. I said, wait a minute. You're not bad. He said, what? I said, you had bad behavior. But you're not bad. I said, you know, Miss Barbara gets upset sometimes when I have to repeat something or someone doesn't listen. I said, does that make me bad? No, Miss Barbara. I said, well, it doesn't make you bad. It shows you had bad behavior. Well, they changed the rule on that. They couldn't call them bad anymore. Nice. So between that and the love for your cat, you were inspired to write Tracks the Cat. Uh, yes. Actually, she came here as a... Uh, a stray, and we kept kept waiting for the neighbors to come check on her or whatever, because we could tell she was taken care of, and um, no one showed up, so she adopted us. I know a lot about cats, and she was a stray, and I thought it'd be easier to write about a cat, since I knew something about cats from living in the country all my life, or, or most of my life, and... Uh, I think that's why I was comfortable writing about a cat. Tracks the Cat, it is about a cat that was abandoned, and but old enough to fend for himself. He was lucky enough to live in a good neighborhood. He takes a walk one day and comes up on this squirrel singing. So I hid in the bushes and uh, listened to the uh, squirrel sing, jumping from limb to limb. And he was so distracted, he forgot all about his honey and thought it was a very unusual day. I feel like the children uh, could learn positive things. It's a positive message about a cat that was uh, abandoned, but yet he came out uh, living a good life in a good neighborhood, and positive things happened to him in his future. Do you have kids to read the book to? Yes, we have company and great nieces and nephews. I'm in the uh, process of setting up some appointments. I live in Grayson County, so it would be the public library here. And then uh, in Hardin County, uh, Barnes & Noble. I wanted to set up a, a time for that in Elizabethtown. That's a great idea. Thank you. Did you uh, enjoy this experience? Yes, ma'am. It was different than I expected, but yes, all in all, I did. Since I was a young woman, I had a desire to write, but allowed other things in my life come first. And I came to the conclusion, if I didn't do it now, then I probably would never fulfill my desire to write. And uh, I still can't believe I actually wrote a book and got it published. Honestly, I knew nothing about publishing a book. So it was a step-by-step process and uh, But it taught me a lot of things because hopefully in the near future, I will publish in another one. All right, Barbara. Thank you. A retired engineer and restaurateur, Jerry Gray almost worked himself to death. Now he writes poems in South Carolina, and he's put them all in one place in his book entitled A Collection of Poetry. Now, did you write poetry when you were working like 90 hours a week? Uh, once in a while. I had a, I had a lady that worked for me, and she was... Uh, uh, she wrote poetry, and I read some of hers, and it kind of, kind of inspired me. Then I had uh, my brother-in-law. He lived in in London, in Ireland, and he had kind of a catastrophe, and 
and I sit down and wrote uh, the saga of, of Brian Mills, and, and now I call it England's Man. Have you read any of the, the, my poems? No, I haven't. Would you like to read one to me? Well, I can. Yeah, sure. Take this uh, the, the first one in the book. It's it's about Christmas, and it's called "The Night I Caught Saint Nick." Christmas comes but once each year. St. Nick with toys and all his reindeer. There'll be laughter and joy throughout the day. I ate too much, some will say. The day before Christmas, I thought I would bust. But Mom and Dad said to sleep I must. And St. Nick won't come if you're awake. So be good tonight, for goodness sake. I fought the Sandman most of the night. But proof of St. Nick is my plight. After hiding a camera with stealth care, I'll soon have a picture to show you is there. From the rooftop, I heard a soft pitter-patter. I'm sure the milk and cookies will soon leave his platter. My heart was pounding almost through my chest. St. Nick will have to know I've been my best. Then I heard laughter and a jingle bell. With a ho-ho-ho, we all know well. While Rudolph stands by to guide his flight, down the chimney he came, in from the night. I grabbed the camera just that quick. I knew in a flash I had caught St. Nick. He hung stockings on mistletoe for all to see with presents and candies all around the tree. I got the picture, and that's no spoof, for in my hand I have the proof. With a big, broad smile and a wink from his eye, up the chimney he flew up into the sky. Then... I noticed a note on our Christmas tree, a message to all and addressed to me. Remember the ones who taught you to care, the presents you get are meant to share. So pass on the reason of Christmas each year. Love your family and friends who are so dear. With love, St. Nick. P.S. Merry Christmas to all, and this I say, Remember whose birthday we celebrate today. I love that. Oh, good. Thank you. And you read it so well. Are you are you reading your poetry anywhere? Uh, I read it sometimes to some uh, kids at church time. I do read them. I got a CD, and that's what I want to do. I, I actually always, I never really needed a book. I like the CDs. I give those away. I can't give the books away because they'll charge me for them. <laughs> And uh, the CD is, quite honestly, it's pretty good. I've had people walk up and say, you didn't write all those poems. And that's, I know that's not your voice. <laughs> I've had that happen to me. And uh, I say, well, I wrote every word and I spoke every word. I heard there's several restaurants that you can go to read poetry. Can I read you this? So one, I, I need an opinion on this one I just wrote. It's not very long. Okay. All right. When You Were Mine, that's the name. When you were mine, you were always loving and kind. Old memories of all our love, when you were mine. The time has passed of our love song. I think of you when we were new and you were mine. Seeing your eyes sparkle so bright, knowing our love was so right. Just to see you smile, I'd walk that mile when you were mine. Again and again in our walks and talks, I knew, I knew in my mind that there was only you. The day you passed and left our world, I remember too well 
the day we bonded, I love to tell. In my memory and my heart, never leaving, contains the sighs, S-I-G-A's, and tears of many years as we walk together again in my dreams. Brutal opinion. Really, if you don't like it, say, hey, this doesn't sound right. I, I mean, I just wrote that. That's a tearjerker, man. <laughs> you know, that, that would be a beautiful card. You, don't, you, you need to get one of my CDs. I'll give it to you. All right. All right. I'll send you my address. Thank you. Listen, we got to take a quick break, but we're coming right back. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then now's the time to call Page Publishing at 800-204-6099 and do it immediately. You see, they're looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review most of the books submitted to them. And they'll even give you their feedback. And if they like what they read, Page Publishing will get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, and other outlets. They'll handle everything. Copyright protection printing, cover art, publicity, and editing. So if you've written a novel, a children's book, a cookbook, inspirational work, a book of poetry, or biography, and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-204-6099 now for your free author submission kit. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call for your free author submission kit. Call Page Publishing at 800-204-6099. You're back on the Page Publishing Book Club. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. A retired special ed aide in Washington State, Linda Crossan, tried a few times to write, but it took a couple of years to polish and get her murder mystery, Fallacy, published. I've always had stories in my head, but I hadn't had the confidence to really go ahead and put pen to paper. Um, I was I tried a few times, and then as I got older, I got more um, excited about trying to write and put it into words for other people to read. So when I found out about self-publishing, I went that direction. I read a lot of suspense books, and I had a Down syndrome boy because I have a Down syndrome son. And um, I've always worked with children with special needs, so... I wanted to add that to my story. Uh, it's a story about uh, a woman named Rachel, who is a widow, and she's shot in the side when she uh, takes her dog outside in the mor- early morning. And um, Detective Jason Devereaux investigates. Yeah, Lanny does most of the protection during the time. Um, uh, Rachel has several different frightening things happen as uh, someone continues to try and kill her. No one can seem to figure it out why someone's trying to kill her because she's just a kind woman. And um, her son, Jake, the Down syndrome young man, senses some of the things going on and he really wants to help protect his mom and tries to help in any way he can. And um, the whole story comes into who in the world is trying to kill her and why. She's a widow, and uh, she's she works in a, a bookstore, and um, her son also works at the bookstore in a little coffee concession type thing, and um, she just lives her everyday life, you know, call you know, quiet life, and she has two other children, uh, 
a boy and a girl that are older, and she's a grandmother of two. So she meets the detective when she's in the hospital, and he's questioning her about um, <clears throat> what had happened. And he um, is very drawn to her, and she's a, intrigued by him. And uh, she makes friends with the officer that does a lot of her protection, uh, Lanny. And um, they go through a few things together. And so by the end of the book, is it a big surprise when we find out who who's trying to kill her? Yeah, in my opinion, it is a big surprise because it's not anybody that's brought in through the book. Um, but I don't want to say because <laughs> I'd rather somebody read this book and find out what it is, why somebody's trying to kill her. Is she something other than she appears to be? Uh, no. She's just a sweet woman. And her husband had been killed in a car accident uh, the year before. And the detective, Jason Devereaux, realizes that more than likely her husband was killed instead of just an accident. And so it goes back to the same person that is kill that is trying to kill her. Mm, nice twist, Linda. All right, thank you. Nicholas Lee has been an artist most of his life, and when he's not running a Branson, Missouri hotel, he's writing and has finally published his first sci-fi book entitled Gaia, First Gate. It was just a vivid imagery that I could not release. It just kept in my head, kept spinning and spinning. I just had to get it out of my head. What kind of imagery? Do we see it in your book? Uh, you will at the end of book two. It was a... Uh, Last battle um, between the two two main characters and the first one, and I just had to create the story on up to that point. In my mind, it's a battle between nature and humanity. That no matter how how one struggles against it, it there will always have to be two parts. I mean, humanity can't win, or or intelligence can't win over nature, and nature won't necessarily be able to win out over human intelligence or humanity. So it's just a battle of wills, more or less. You meet Liara. She is the head lady of a town called Atmos, and she has a guardian with her that seen as one of the elemental gods, and his name is Kron. Then we also meet uh, Damascus who gets taken over by the god of fire, and it's more like a parasite than anything else. And through the book, you you just see them come to terms with, now that the elemental powers, the elemental gods are back, they have to try their best to try to live in this new world with these gods. There is Kron, and that is a god that did not get exiled, then there's a trail that interacts and takes over Damascus. And then there's two others, Luegua and um, Google, that are more, they're more standoffish, but they do become a bigger and bigger part of the story as the story goes on. But the main thing is Trell is trying his hardest to fulfill a goal that will come to fruition as the book goes on to, to pretty much fulfill his destiny as a god, bringing his elemental power back onto the planet of Gaia. Well, is he trying to bring an end to the world? 
Yes, yes, because they have been separated from the god plane and stuck on Gaia itself. So they, all four of the elemental gods, are trying to bring their power from the god plane over to strengthen themselves. Um, I do have a Facebook page. It's kind of under construction right now. Um, Enly Books on Facebook. I am starting to move forward with trying to make it public in my local market, and I will be doing that here within the next month. Good enough, Nicholas. That's the way to do it. Thank you. Bruce Pine is definitely a numbers guy. He writes mathematically-based poetry and limericks. So what's that about? Check out his book, Prime Recreations, an oleo of curios about prime numbers. It is a mathematics book, and it's for general audience. It's, it doesn't require a whole lot of mathematics background to read and understand it and enjoy it. A lot of the books in my personal library I own because I found them in libraries. And I says, I got, I got to own this. I got to own this one. I got to own this one. So I go to Amazon and I order it. And I have dozens of books like that. I'm thinking that there must be other people out there with the same mental attitude they see a book in a library, and they they want to get it. I have my book cataloged in 13 uh, libraries in southeastern Massachusetts. I've just been playing around with with numbers and prime numbers ever since I learned what they were back in college. So that was uh, going on 50 years ago. I just turned 70. It's a book for people who have a love of numbers. But anybody who enjoys numbers will probably enjoy it. I set myself the challenge to f try to find as many triangles as I could with prime number sides, knowing that certain lengths will form triangles and others won't, because no side can be longer than the sum of the other two sides, or a triangle simply won't be formed. But I'm looking for the ones that will. Like 3, 3, and 7, for instance, won't form a triangle because 7 is longer than the other two. But 7, 7, and 3 will, as in like, like an isosceles triangle, if you remember your uh, high school geometry, with 3 as the base and 7 as the other side. And, um, I just looked for as many as I could, and I, I went up to a sum of something over 100, and that's about where I left it. And a lot of cases in the book, I said, now, for the motivated reader, which won't be everybody, for the motivated reader who enjoys this little path, you can investigate this further if you want. And uh, I go as far as I care to take it, but I leave it for the reader to develop it further if they so wish. And I do that in many places in the book. Try to engage the, the reading audience. Primes in sports, stock market primes, prime temperatures, prime zip codes. I mean, who does that? It's pretty fascinating. So how do you, like, in terms of, like, selling this book, in terms of getting people to buy it, I mean, it's a, would you say it's a pretty niche crowd? I sold a couple of copies to some of my customers on my newspaper route. Uh, that were willing to, to buy them, either for themselves, for gifts, or maybe even Christmas gifts. But most of the people who buy the book, I don't even know. I just look at the report that Paige sends me every three months, and I, 
I've sold copies in at least 10 different countries. That's great, Bruce. And you know what? It's great for other authors to know that that's even possible. All right. Nice job, everybody. That is a wrap for this edition of the Page Publishing Book Club. You got to check out the podcast at 710WOR.com. I'm Alice Stockton-Rosini. I'll catch you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.